kind of equate them to like jumping in the deep end of the pool, not knowing if you can swim and surviving. Like that's the feeling. Throw yourself into an uncomfortable position that you're fearful of and then survive it. Yeah. And in the process of surviving, you come out better. Um, I do this now all the time in business. I don't, yeah, on purpose. I don't have to know all of the details of how we're going to survive to know that it is directionally correct. And I'll boldly step beyond the point of no return and let the details sort themselves. Welcome to ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This show, like many, features successful entrepreneurs and different from the others, all our guests, like you and I, choose Colorado. Success looks different here. It's multidimensional, and that's why I say live, work, love Colorado. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Andre Duran, CEO of Ping Identity. Ping's intelligent identity platform provides customers, employees, and partners with access to data while managing identity and profile data at scale. And by scale, I mean that over half of the Fortune 100 choose Ping and Ping partners with companies like Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. Ping was acquired in 2016 by Vista Equity Partners for over $600 million, further propelling Ping identity upward, and Andre Durand remains its leader. Welcome, Andre. It's great to be here. Thanks, I'm, Dave. I'm glad you are. Thanks for joining ProCo360. And thanks, too, to our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado and MicroStar Keg Logistics. They support Colorado entrepreneurism, and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and ProCo360. So let's dive in. First, I'm going to turn to you, Andre, for a quick overview of Ping Identity. I think maybe in its simplest of terms, um, uh, identity and identity management, kind of the technology that we provide. If pretty much everything that you log into online, you're logging into an identity system. And the software and systems that keeps your identity safe, that helps authenticate you, that login experience, and all the things kind of behind the scenes, that, that software, that infrastructure for many of the large banks, for many of the mobile applications that you use, um, a lot of that's powered by ping. And um, so that includes where your identity data is stored, how it's encrypted and protected, um, who can access that data, uh, how you log into that system, what that experience looks like. Um, that technology or the technology behind that is is the technology that uh, Ping provides large enterprises. Yeah. And yep. it, it- it is amazing, really, that your penetration in the large enterprises is amazing. Seven of ten of the largest biopharma, four of five of the largest healthcare plans, two of three of the largest hospitals, and all of the largest banks. So how does that work? How do you get to be that company? <laughs> well, so, you know, it turns out our first customer was American Express. Wow. This is, you know, circa probably 2004, 2005 timeframe. So... We've always been serving uh, enterprises. We kind of grew up in that world, didn't know any different. Uh, it turns out that identity problems exist uh, for small businesses. They exist for individuals. They exist for large enterprises. We've always served large enterprises. I think that, um, you know, because we started with American Express uh, and very early in our career, we we were talking to the challenges of large enterprises. Uh, you know, we we very quickly focused in on that market and pretty much have never changed our focus. Well, this is different from just sort of the idea of 
being able to log in securely. It's way more extensive, right? And and as you manage large enterprises, one of the things, obviously you want to solve, and, and from doing some a little bit of background research on ping identity, you want to solve the problem of identity-based security. But what, what really intrigued me is that most of the time when somebody, when a business solves a complicated problem, it solves it by requiring the end user to like jump through a hoop and then it's fixed, right? Your whole yeah. plan is to solve it with no user experience, right? Talk about that. Yeah. Talk about the best user experience is no user yeah, experience. Exactly. It's, in, it's invisible. A lot of, uh, a lot of security, uh, from an end user perspective, um, feels like it, 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 it feels like friction, right? Mm -hmm, and right. so it's it's very kind of apparent that I'm having to go through hoops to get through security. I guess physical manifestation of that is, you know, going through TSA at the airport, right? You feel going through security. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever done, you know, I, I'm, I'm a clear member now at the airport mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's a better user experience to just be able to fly through the lines, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And, you know, that is an identity experience at the end of the day. Um, being better known uh, as you are through the clear system allows me to move through the perimeter, if you will, faster. move through security faster. And in the digital world, we're attempting to do the same thing. Uh, the more known the user is, the more trusted the user is, uh, the better user experience uh, that we can create. And so the identity systems that we're building, we are trying to build better security mm -hmm. in a world where users are on their mobile phones and users are everywhere and the things they're trying to go to are everywhere. So things aren't in a fixed place anymore. Enabling that kind of seamless uh, mobile end user experience that is also simultaneously secure. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the challenge. Yeah. So people don't feel it. They're not inconvenienced. It's not annoying and it still works. That's right. That's yeah. the whole, that's the Holy grail. Yeah. And you're achieving quite a bit of it, aren't you? I mean, we're getting there. We talked about, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of sayings in our industry. One that cropped up three or four years ago where, um, traditional security is very much, has been rooted in the notion of a perimeter or a firewall. And uh, and so you build a network, you you have a building, your users badge into a building, they log into a company-issued computer, they're on the company's network, they're going to an application that the company is providing that's, you know, that they're running in their mm -hmm. data center. And, and so this notion of a perimeter, and we've often thought that the world is moving to a, a, to a, to a time and place where the identity is the perimeter, not the firewall. Hmm, hmm. So it's really, it's all about your identity mm -hmm. more so than it is about which, you know, which walls are you moving through, which, yeah. and so that's a paradigm shift. The notion that we would put everything behind a wall, whether it's a firewall or a physical wall in the mm -hmm. physical world, um, that's now completely changing. You can be secure, but completely mobile and there's no walls. Wow. Or you can't see the walls. So the the idea is that the individual is the, his or her own key to their own identity. That's Somehow kind of the you way drive to think technology. About it. Yep. If we could, if we could always know that it's you. Yeah. In every yeah. transaction. Yeah. Um, where you go or what you do, you know, all those perimeters, if you mean, all those yeah. walls, kind of like disappear. Wouldn't that be great? Where we weren't feeling like we either had to stay behind a wall or secure the door when we close it it would be awesome and that's what you're doing well, yeah i mean uh, science fiction movies have always had this right uh because they're not you know the artists there envision a world as they think it should be and it's not limited by what technology yeah. can or can't do but 
you know, plenty of science fiction films have it where people just move about and systems kind of recognize them and yeah, doors yeah. open and doors close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's all based upon your identity. Yeah. And that concept is really what we're ultimately building towards. That's cool. And then we just have to figure out how to manage the security around with that security behind it. It's look, I, you talk most of your day. I know you talk about technology with investors or with the industry and so forth. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to encourage listeners. They want to learn more about the, the technology that they should maybe use your site as a portal or do some research. I, I want to talk with you more because we, you and I have talked in the past about sort of how you lead and how you've built your business. So I want to shift gears um, to your approach to leadership. And, and you did me a big favor because you, your LinkedIn profile wrote my outline for me. So I'm going to break that into a few chunks of some of the things I thought that were really interesting. You said, and I'm going to start. And so, so I'm going to read it. Then I'm going to talk about it. We're going to do that a few times. So I really want to dive into how you think about these things. For example, let's start with how you begin your profile, which is when not running towards fear, I feed my passion for performance, technology, and culture at Ping Identity, where we strive to secure the internet through identity. So what do you mean? What's a specific example, maybe, Andre, of how you've run towards fear that would illustrate what that means to you? Well, I kind of became cognizant of uh, my own journey of growth and my relationship to fear, you know, probably five or six years ago. Uh, I probably have instinctually been doing this my whole life, but I wasn't conscious of it. And I think the, the, when I became conscious of it, it's when I became conscious of the voice that reacts, that's constantly kind of sitting on my shoulder, reacting to the things that people are asking me to do. And so I think everyone can relate to uh, the voice that reacts when someone asks you to speak publicly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't remember the stats, but uh, like the statistics of the fear around public speaking far outweigh pretty much yeah. everything else, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. you can get it. Someone says, hey, would you like to get in front of a group and speak to X number of people? And your voice immediately says, um, I've got to be busy that day. Something uh -huh. on my calendar yeah, is yeah, telling me yeah. I've got to be able to, you know, find a way out of that. And um, and so the voice is kind of always there, and it's knee jerk many times to new situations or to things where there is a fear of failure mm -hmm. and whatever the consequences are. However, people internalize fear of failure. It it's knee jerk is always no. Yeah, but like, you said you run towards well, fear. And so once I appreciated that my growth uh, was, um, I think, uh, associated with or, or largely driven by entering into situations where I was over my head mm -hmm. that I was fearful of, um, that's when I started to be purposeful mm -hmm. about pursuing things that I was naturally fearful, fearful yeah, of. Yeah. The growth opportunity existed where fear existed. Can and, you think of an example? Well, I mean, so we've had we've had several that I've lived through both uh, business personal. The, the last time I <laughs> I lived this very vividly is we were con we were converting our business model at the company uh, in 2013 to a subscription business model. Yeah. Um, and of course there was a, there was a lot that I didn't know. I knew it was the right decision for the business. There was a lot I didn't know. Um, we got in, we got partway into this shift, if you will. And, and, um, uh, and to really do it right, 
uh, required that I raise another $80 million that, that I hadn't fully anticipated the need for that capital up front. And so there was a, there was a real moment of truth mm-hmm. in that one in, in terms of what we bid off and the true yeah. cost of what we bid off and frankly, fear of the unknown, fear of failure in making that shift. Um, but I heard a great quote, like, especially around big decisions. Uh, and I forget who said it, but the quote was essentially boldly step beyond the point of no return and let the details sort themselves. And a lot of the big decisions that we, you know, choose to make or not make in life, I kind of equate them to like jumping in the deep end of the pool, not knowing if you can swim and surviving. Like that's the feeling throw yourself into an uncomfortable position that you're fearful of and then survive it. Yeah. Yeah. And in the process of surviving, you come out better. Hmm. Um, I do this now all the time in business. On purpose. I don't, yeah, on purpose. I don't have to know all of the details of how we're going to survive to know that it is directionally correct. And I'll boldly step beyond the point of no return and let the details yeah. sort themselves. Yeah. And, and so at first, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, and I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs and business leaders who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Andre Duran, CEO of Ping Identity. And it's interesting, too, that so one of your strategies now is to, when you're convinced of a direction, whether you know how to get there or not, is to make the decision to go. Make the decision to go. That's exactly yeah. Yeah. that's exactly correct. So when you're leading, though, I mean, a couple of things come to mind as you're leading a team. One is, if you are sure you want to go in a particular direction, you say, let's go. The people who work for you, first of all, may say, how? And you haven't figured it out yet, right? Or what about people who who you want to have the same attitude and then you expect them to have results and where do you, how do you, so those are two questions. How do you manage their fear of what, what their outcome will be when you tell them to go somewhere and they don't know where they're going? So, (laughs) well, I mean, they know directionally, they might not know all the details. I I think you find the full spectrum of individuals at a company, some that, you know, will kind of live in their fear of the unknown until every detail. And even if you gave them every detail, they Mm -hmm. still, Mm probably wouldn't, you know, naturally go yeah, there. And yeah. others who are energized by the unknown and, you know, a whiteboard that's not written on and they get to go create the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a, I call it an enrollment process and people enroll at different times. Not everyone has to enroll at the same time. You kind of build momentum mm-hmm. as I would characterize it. Part of it has to do with your reputation as a leader, as an individual, if people have seen you boldly go into the unknown several times before mm-hmm. and be successful, yeah. even the skeptics are willing <laughs> to be a little bit more receptive yeah, to... Yeah. We did that. Well, Andre really means that. Yeah, like, yeah. He's dead serious, even though he doesn't know all of the details. Mm-hmm. He is going to go there. Mm. I've yeah. seen this happen several times before. Therefore, I'm going to get on board sooner. Ah, right? yeah, and so... A- your history and your reputation of overcoming these large obstacles does play it forward, mm-hmm. if you will, in the believability and the followership that you get as you yeah. pursue new things. And yeah, yeah. You know, may, maybe an example of that that everyone's familiar with now is, you know, as an entrepreneur, Elon Musk is doing a lot of crazy things. You might not have believed him early, but you mm-hmm. believe him more now yeah. because yeah. you've seen you've seen a lot of achievement. Yeah. And even the skeptics can become believers. Sure, sure. 
I, I and, and I would think people who are skeptical and critical probably now are like, I wish I'd written those checks or I, what's yeah. next that I can get involved in? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, willpower is a reality distortion field over time. And, and well, one more time, say that again. I, I, willpower is it's a, just, it's a reality distortion field. You hmm. can find people with incredible will who can just bend reality over time. And, and uh, and it, it is a skill, and you you can become better at it over time, and certainly your reputation can precede mm. you if you if you walk into a situation with complete determination. Mm-hmm. Many times, mm-hmm. people are reading other people's determination and willpower. And at first, when you have no reputation, words are cheap. Yeah, yeah. talk is cheap. Everyone says everything. Nobody believes anything. But over time, people develop a reputation. Yeah, and people can see that. Uh, they, they can, you know, they, they can see how the words, the what I call the say-do ratio mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really lines up. They say it, they yeah, do it. Yeah. They say it, they do it. They say it, they do it. If that's repeated over and over and over and you say it, your words now have weight yeah, and meaning into yeah. the future. And people read that uh, and then they become part of it. Yeah. They, they buy into it, I would think, at that they point. They buy into yeah. it and they join. So what happens if you say it, do it, fail? Say it, do it, fail, right? I mean... You have to build the only the credibility comes from success. Yes, the credibility does come from yeah. success, and yeah. and there your reputation will precede you in a negative way. Sure, sure. Yep. Um, you, I'm, I'm going to move on to the next thing you were talking about in your profile, which is, I believe there's science to everything, and my leadership philosophy is simple. I strive for ten ten, where attitude meets great performance. So talk more about ten ten. Yeah. So ten ten, <clears throat> I've written and rewritten and rewritten kind of my values or my value statements over the years. And, mm-hmm. and then I'll see a company and I'll look at their values. I'll go, gosh, that's, a, that's an interesting twist. And I'll mm-hmm. go back to mine and rework them. And I, and I struggled to distill what are so many great values and words to choose from <laughs> to something that was um, easy to remember and universal. Mm-hmm. And then one day it just kind of hit me that when you really distill performance and culture into either one simple visual or one simple statement, I have yet to find anything that quite captures it the way that 1010 captures it. Mm -hmm. So imagine this, it's a simple X, Y axis on one axis is performance and on the other axis is attitude. I guess attitude, if you're talking about an individual culture, if you're talking about a whole company. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the upper right-hand corner is the 1010 corner, sure. like that's the dot. And that, that is a situation where the results are being had, the performance is there, but it's not sacrificing you know, really meaningful things like the how. How did you mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. the results? Yeah. And did you sacrifice uh, to get the results? Did you sacrifice how you interacted with people? Mm-hmm. per se, to get the numbers. Yeah. And so 10-10 is, is winning without sacrifice. Hmm. It's winning with a great attitude and a smile and bringing people along yeah. in a very healthy way. It's, it, for example, it's not leading by fear. Yeah, yeah. It's almost by definition, leading through fear might get the result. Without but, the attitude, yeah. But without the attitude might mm-hmm. really sacrifice yeah. relationships and things of more deeper value. So there's a lot of talk about about balance and what, you know, balanced life, balanced approach to life. Um, I talk about live, work, love Colorado. We're here because we want to uh, be able to enjoy 
the mountains and other things. And, and does 1010 talk about balance? It really doesn't in your mind, does it? Or does it? Well, it's, uh, it is perfect balance, <laughs> right? There's a no compromise in, in 1010. I've got a complicated uh, relationship with the word balance. Uh, it has been a part of our value system for some time. I've come to appreciate that uh, balance is extremely hard. It's, it's actually probably easier to be all one thing or all another, right? It's easier to be black mm-hmm. or white. Yeah, yeah. It's harder to be balanced. And I guess the, the, the metaphor, the visual I see is, imagine a person standing with one leg and their eyes closed on a Boise ball, perfectly still. You would look at that individual who's perfectly still and think they are in perfect balance. That looks easy. But if you're standing on the Boise ball with your eyes closed, every single muscle in your body is firing to maintain that balance. And the truth is a healthy balance doesn't mean 50-50. Yeah, yeah. A healthy balance, depending on the situation, could be 80-20, it could be 90-10, and that's a perfectly healthy balance. And so balance, uh, healthy balance does depend upon context. I find maintaining a healthy balance requires work and effort mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in every situation. Uh, so we do talk a lot about it at Ping. Most people talk about work-life yeah. balance tends to be the concept, yeah, certainly exactly. the theme yeah. of... Right. So when you talk about it, what do you say about it? Would you, yeah. So I've got an interesting <laughs> equation that I've been working on. Um, and like everything, I've created a PowerPoint slide that visualizes it. But imagine this, right? Imagine that we as humans, we have, we have several assets. We have time, we have our energy, we have our health, we have our relationships. And we trade those for money sometimes for fame or to feed ego um, or for control or in some cases power. So the the equation is my health, my time, my relationships, my energy is being traded for money, for ego, for control. And what does the balance of that equation look like? And Mm. it's different for every individual and it's different at different times in life. When you're 20, you're an unknown for the most part. You have no money, right? You have a lot of time. You start to have a lot of energy. Yeah. You have good health by default. Yeah. yeah. And throughout the course of your life, you start trading those things off mm-hmm. to try to fill those other buckets. Either actively or passively. And for, uh, and, Many times it's passively. Yeah, it's without yeah, knowing. Yeah. And without knowing, <clears throat> how do you even know when the buckets are full? Mm-hmm. You'll find situations where one of those buckets get full and people just keep going. Yeah. And they don't know, yeah. and they continue to trade their health and their energy for things that are of lesser value. You talk about this at work. Uh, I have at a high level. I've certainly shared this construct with several of my CEO yeah. friends yeah. because I do think you can get caught up in this equation and not know what balance looks like, and just keep going sacrificing. Yeah. But can you grow a company from startup to where Ping Identity is selling for over 600 million? Can you do that with the same balance that maybe you talk to your people about? No, the truth is the truth is your equation can be very unbalanced for periods, periods of, of time. Mm-hmm. Almost has to be sometimes, doesn't it? 
some people are so gifted <laughs> and talented that yeah, somehow yeah. that you know they can I suppose. their economic engine or whatever yeah. innate or other abilities they have allow them to create an equation that's unlike you know yeah. uh, and fill buckets faster than other people might it, otherwise fill buckets but for most of us you're really struggling yeah to try to get all of these buckets full did you ever see a book called can't hurt me have you heard no. of that or seen it all right i can't talk about it much then a guy named david goggins who's uh, turned his life into a fanatical physical uh, endeavor. But I, I was struck by his belief that hard work is the most important thing you can apply towards objectives. And then and then also reading Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. And his right. whole thing is try to do as little as you can personally while you outsource everything else. And the extreme differences and how people view yeah. you know, what you're just describing in balance is intriguing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know, nature, nurture, we probably can have this debate yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess I've just come to appreciate finding the right balance in all parts of your life uh, and trying to maintain those, knowing that they change. There's no absolute answer. What yeah, is balanced yeah. for one person is unbalanced for another person. And what might be balanced when you're 20s is yeah. not balanced when you're 50s. And the even, equation changes. Yeah, and not only the equation, but it seems like the the maturity of your mind changes how you see it. I mean, you a couple of other things you say, for example, is kind of you know in, is part of your profile. Sometimes slower is faster, right? Yeah. I mean, have you see do you see that different now than you saw that same phrase when you were twenty or thirty? I wasn't really aware of the phrase hmm. uh, when I was twenty. You, I, I use another kind of metaphor with folks. Um, you know, imagine. Imagine that you're racing and you're you're starting out at the line, right? You've got a couple of people and and on one situation you you know the bell goes off and you jump off running, right? Imagine another person sits there and I don't know st- takes a few minutes to strap strap a rocket to themselves. Uh, and so they yeah. they're out of the line slow. They're slow out of the gate but they're fast on the field. Yeah. Versus yeah. fast out of the gate and slow on the field. And so many times I've seen that short-sighted or short-term decisions that are mm-hmm. fast out of the gate are actually really slow on the field. And when you're playing the long game, yeah. I also like to say like, you know, success is a movie, not a photograph. You could take a photograph of a point in time of pretty much any situation and yeah. make a judgment about whether it's successful or not. I always like to say, you know, take another photograph two years later, three years later, five years later. Yeah. It's like our lives are a movie. And when you think about playing the long game, as a movie, mm-hmm. not a snapshot, then you think about how do I be fast over the long haul? Mm-hmm. And many times being a little slower and a little bit yeah. thought, more thoughtful about how are we going to be fast two years from today? What would I do today to be fast two years from today? Yeah. It gets you to a different answer. Do you get support for that through for that kind of thinking? I mean, you're, you're not owned by uh, Vista Equity Partners. They obviously made a big investment to have some significant outcomes. Is there a tension between between how you have to go slow to go fast and the idea of continuing to go fast all the time? I have not had a challenge with that, but um, you got to recognize there are some things where quick results are expected, and that so again, it's very contextual. Yeah, the really meaningful, important things you want to do right, yeah. and you want to invest in the right foundation. 
so that you could be fast over the long haul. Yeah, yeah. And we've all experienced short-term decisions that have to be redone and redone and redone. The second, you know, you're barely done with the first time. You're Mm -hmm. like, well, we got to redo it because we made a quick decision and now we need to redo it. So I think there are certain decisions where you can be fast and the consequences, the downstream consequences are not that great. Others where you go, that's really important to our long-term success. Let's make sure we get it right. This one we need to get right. Yeah. You, You also say that with age, you have, you personally have become more patient um, does patients have more value as you take a look, you know, at the horizon and as you consider scaling, I mean, when you start, when you're just starting a brand new startup and I had one of those and patience was not a virtue, you know, and cause I had to pay the bills and pay the rent and all, but I mean, as you scale, yeah. does patients have a different value and does it look different? Again, you could take any one of these comments out of context in I balance. Might. I might do that. In balance. <laughs> Like, how do you approach life with extreme urgency yet still be patient? Like, seems like those are at odds. Those yeah. statements are at odds. Yeah. yeah, I do believe you need to pursue everything with extreme urgency and simultaneously mm-hmm. be patient for long-term results. And that's a balance that's not easy. Either you're all urgent all the yeah. time yeah. or you're patient. And neither one of those is the optimal balanced mm-hmm. equation. Yeah, yeah. And so... You know, I pursue, I pursue life with extreme urgency. I also don't expect the big outcome to happen immediately. Yeah. I know that big things take time and take consistency. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's living in those yeah, two yeah. realities simultaneously. Yeah. But that's, that's the challenge, I suppose. Big, right? important yeah, things yeah. take time. You got to be patient. Yeah. And life tends to put up filters at the, I, I like to say, so life filters out the uncommitted life. Mm-hmm. It, it has a way of filtering out the uncommitted yeah, yeah. bars get placed right at the moment in time where the average person would opt out. Cause they're mm-hmm. not committed. And yeah. I really noticed this in school for me personally, mm-hmm. it was, I did a pre-med degree and I, and I thought, I thought I'd be a doctor right until I got to the MCAT, the test. And I, I did two days of studying for the test. I said, my heart's not really in this. Yeah. Like, this is not really what I want. Mm-hmm. The test being as hard as it was where it was, Filter. was the system's way of yeah. filtering for commitment. Yeah. And it turns out yeah. the equivalent of that test exists everywhere in life. You'll yeah. find people uncannily put those things there to dis- to figure out whether or not you're actually committed. You know what? And I, and I kind of like those when I see them. Yeah. And it, it, it does allow for those who are committed to stand out and That's differentiate right. and, and go where they're supposed to go. That's right. Her, yeah. Yeah. I you think wanna, you're right. Life filters out the uncommitted. That's a cool phrase. I like it. Um, you've, you've talked about, and you've focused a lot on, on, innovation in the past. And um, one of the things that stuck in my mind is this question about, you You even said, I've discovered the truth is often the opposite, the opposite of conventional wisdom. And when I think about that, it's so true that, especially today, that, that conventional wisdom rarely yields at least the truth going forward. You know, what's your, what's, what, what's your thinking about all that? Yeah, I mean the you know go slow to go fast. There's all these acronyms that over yeah. time you just kind of recognize. In Western society, and again, an, another I'm sure much wiser person said this that said, 
you know, we, we do a lot of things so that we can have a lot of things so that we can be happy. Mm. Yeah. Like we work so we can buy cars so that we yeah. can be happy. When, yeah. when in fact the formula for happiness doesn't involve doing or having. You can simply be happy yes. without doing or having. And so that's maybe a more Zen-like analogy to what society tells us. The conventional mm -hmm. wisdom yeah. for the formula yeah. for happiness doesn't involve doing or having. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just, it seems throughout life, and I wish I had more examples right now, but I stumble across yeah. them all the time. Yeah. You go, gosh, you know, I was told a different formula. Yeah. And it's just different than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think... I think we see at least I strive as I've as I've matured in my career to to not take conventional wisdom for granted. Yeah. But, you know, things are everything's changing. Yeah. And uh, it's changing so fast that it's sort of like either you, either either we can stick with conventional wisdom or we can sort of diminish that value and participate in the ride going forward. They don't seem to connect anymore. Yeah. I I don't know. I haven't given a tremendous amount of thought, but it seems a lot of conventional wisdom, someone's selling something. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing before I shift gears around innovation, and I want to cover this pretty quickly. You wrote in an article in 2015, four tips to foster a culture of innovation. And you listed several things. But before I go, I'm not sure I even need to dive into them beyond, uh, the first one's kind of intriguing, start conversations with what if. But you're talking about about culture of innovation have you do you think over the last several years your views on a culture of innovation have changed no actually i i don't right um again another balance equation many times scaling something uh is you know about repeatability uh you tend to kind of codify it through process right you're trying to eliminate the variability to take a formula and actually achieve scale. Mm -hmm. But creating the formula in the first place is almost like the complete opposite. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so what I wrote about there was an observation at the time as I was thinking about it, and it was just through my own experience. If you want to innovate, don't come in with an answer, come in with a question. Mm -hmm. And that, that was kind of the thought behind start conversations with what if. Yeah. Um, innovation is about what's possible, not what has been. It's about it's about exploring what we don't know yeah. versus what we do know. Well, we kind of talked about that at the very beginning of the interview, where you're trying the holy grail is to create identity security without any kind of barriers. I mean, the the, it, the whole concept is a what if. What if we could secure our identities without any hassles, yes. right? On a day to day. I mean, that seems like that's where you're where you're going. Yeah, and look, the opener to a conversation, like start start a sentence with what if. It puts your mind into the yeah. world of possibility, not into the world of what I experienced yesterday that I'm trying to project into the future. Yeah. Hey, I want to wrap this conversation with some questions about Colorado because you're a pretty high-profile entrepreneur, high-profile leader in tech, and I want to talk, get your thoughts about what you think of Colorado as Ping's headquarters, what you see for Colorado for entrepreneurial growth? So I think Colorado is incredibly balanced. I'll, I'll kind of start there. Yeah. Like it, if it has a reputation, it has a reputation of, um, you know, w working with a conscious and, um, and working in balance 
with the outdoors. Colorado is also a very outdoors place. People are very connected to the mountains here. They're very connected to the activities. Um, and they've made a choice in being here to uh, live a life you know, that balances their career mm-hmm. and, and their yeah, relationship yeah. to their family and their relationship to outdoors. Um, I really respect that because I think it's, it's sustainable. It's just very sustainable. Hmm. Well, why do you say that? I, tell me what that means, having a balance in work and life and appreciate. Uh, how, how does that make something sustainable? Well, so again, a, an observation rooted in my own personal experience, but uh, I think what I've experienced when the cost of living uh, gets so high that people are continually under pressure to live mm-hmm. and you know and and make frankly make enough money to yeah, live yeah, with their yeah. living, um, you they begin to sacrifice on that equation yeah. of time, health, relationships, energy, um, just to live in an environment. And it, tend, and, and it, and it becomes unhealthy yeah. and, frankly, unsustainable hmm. at some point. Hmm. You, you yeah, burn out. Yeah. You just burn out. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of talk, though, about, I mean, there's companies that are moving, expanding headquarters from, say, San Francisco to Colorado to Denver. What's your take on this influx of tech jobs and tech companies and things? Do you think that's... Um, just going to accelerate or is it going to slow down and become in balance? What are you, what you thinking? I think it's going to accelerate. I think you have, uh, you know, things feel unsustainable from my vantage, uh, in San Francisco in the tech scene Mm -hmm. today. And I hear this everywhere. This is, I'm sure you do as well. These are people that work at the largest tech companies out there who can't afford a home. And yeah, are just literally yeah, saying, yeah. you know, I've I've been here for five or six years. I'm planning to get out. I'm just under too much pressure, and things are just yeah. getting too crazy and too expensive. And they're sacrificing too many other things mm-hmm. in order to continue to be yeah. that environment. And so, from that perspective, I think it's pretty inevitable yeah. that we're going to continue to see an influx. Well, there's another piece of that. Um, my son works in San Francisco in tech, and he says, you know, everyone there knows people who are tech millionaires. And that there's the like people go there who have those hopes sometimes, and do you see Colorado shifting the norm to where at some point people see this as a location where they can achieve those kinds of if they wish those kinds of successes and riches and fame and so forth? I Is think that it, even important? You know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about the valley uh, is that. It attracts people who want to go to the hardest, most extreme, most competitive environment to test themselves. Hmm. And so uh, it, you know, it 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 attracts the people that are looking for everything that you just described. Yeah. And understand and are willing to pay the price associated with that. Meaning they're not in San Francisco to be balanced. Yeah. They're in there to change the world, to do something extraordinary, to test the limits of their own capabilities, mm. which in and of itself is f- a phenomenal concept. Yeah. Um, and for some with, with the talent and skills to do it, sustainable. Yeah. Uh, what, well, that's going to be so interesting because as more of that technology moves to Colorado, but people live here not for that. It's going to be an interesting tension. 
it's going to be an interesting tension. And, you know, whether or not we evolve there over time, I, I tend to think as things kind of grow up, they, they kind of end up getting there. It becomes almost a self-perpetuating mm-hmm. scenario. Enough people move here. Yeah. Cost of living increases. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I guess we'll have to see, but I, it seems like we're on a trajectory. We have to decide. We may have to decide at some point which, which is more of what we want as Colorado. You know, currently the people that seek out Colorado are are looking to be their best whole self yeah. in my vote, yeah. in balance yeah. with other things that they also deem to be a priority. They are not in it for the all or nothing mm-hmm. that tends to attract yeah. uh, to the coast sure. today. Hmm. And I think that's sustainably healthy. Well, good. I think I, I think we'll wrap up there. I I'm looking at the time and I'm like, wow, we've already gone five minutes past what I thought we might, even if we stretched it. So I'm going to wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today I'm Proco 360. You've been listening to my conversation with Andre Duran, CEO of Ping Identity. Andre, it's really been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And listeners, thanks for joining us on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, MicroStar, Keg Logistics, Community Banks of Colorado, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Thanks to show engineer Mike here at 3rd and James Studios. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.